Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hey guys, this week we're talking about creating impact through design, and we're going to find out how you go from building apps for refugees to avoid snipers, right the way through to building a digital agency designing and commercializing health tech products. And that is the journey of my guest this week, who is Lee Omar, and he's founder and CEO of Red Ninja Studios, which is a design-led company that make products that impact people and patients. And they do all of that from the wonderful city of Liverpool, where I live for two years. So hello to any of my Liverpool-based listeners. So before working in tech, Lee worked in human rights. He ran a diverse range of businesses, ranging from a Sony award-winning radio show importing vegetables, exporting cream, even organising over a thousand concerts, nightclub events and festivals. And Lee's since been involved in smart city design and he advises the UK government on what cities will look like in 2065 to enable policy change and he also advises them on artificial intelligence and machine learning too which makes me feel a lot better and you'll find out why when you listen to the episode. So we talk through Lee's background, right the way from those refugees to becoming a UK entrepreneur. We talk about how the desire to scale himself led into technology, how Red Ninja approaches design thinking to build products, how to generate ideas, how to test assumptions and new ideas and more. And so as always, if you want to get in touch with us and you like what you hear, feel free to head over to the description of this episode to find links to our socials, Red Ninja socials, emails, websites and more. Enjoy the episode. So Lee, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How you doing, mate? I'm good, James. Thanks for thanks for having me. Really looking forward to having a chat. You're very welcome, sir. Very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Lee? I'm speaking to you from uh, rainy Liverpool. I'm um, I'm back home. Just just come home last week. Uh, just been in the US, and it's it's great to be home. Uh, oh, very here. nice. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's nice to be back in Liverpool. It's been a while since uh, I've been back in Liverpool. I lived there for a couple of years. I did some anaesthetics training up there and I absolutely love the city. And we've got a few listeners in Liverpool, actually. So hello to them. Uh, um, shout out to the Scousers. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. So, Lee, you've got such an awesome background that I cannot wait to get into. So the way we start these podcasts normally is I get people to tell their story, but I think we might be, <laughs> might be here forever listening to yeah, yours because okay. yeah. it's so, cause it's so interesting, but let's just kick off and you, you start telling me about your story and I'll just sure. start jumping and asking questions. Sure. Sure. So I guess, yeah, I got, I got into tech in a rather unconventional roots really. Like, um, wasn't, wasn't really a tech person. It didn't really have a, have an interest, um, after leaving university, where, uh, where I studied law, I, um, I started working for an NGO, um, a human rights charity called Refugee Action. And I did that for, for 11 years. And um, I, I spent my time um, empowering refugees to build new lives. So once, you know, refugees cross the border, they, um, you know, they, they go to a new country and, and kind of start again. And, and that's, that's a massive challenge for someone. And I started off working with, um, with children who, uh, who didn't have parents, who were in a new country, kind of like a youth worker, really. And, and I love that. It was, it's probably, mm. probably the best job I've ever done. Oh. I guess you could kind of call it youth work or community development. Um, I got quite good at that. So I started working with kind of more refugee communities. So a lot of um, Syrian communities, um, Zimbabwean um, Iraqi, Afghan, Kurdish, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, wherever there was kind of strife, really, and, and wherever people are displaced, that was that was the communities I'd work with. And then, um, then I, around 2010, I saw um, some of the refugees who I was working with were using um, smartphones, you know, cheap Android um, phones, to to send messages around the world on. Um, on what was kind of like WhatsApp that we use now, but you know, I, mm. I didn't even have a smartphone then. I was I was on <laughs> BlackBerry. <laughs> you know, we, we remember them. <laughs> uh, didn't didn't have like a computer. You know, didn't have like internet in my house. So you know, quite low tech. I was like a guy with a with a notebook doing my doing my job. <laughs> and um, 
when I started looking at these messages, which, which they were sending, I realized that they were like kind of literally um, saving people's lives. These messages, they would, they would say things like, um, when you leave the road uh, north of Aleppo in, in Syria, turn left instead of right, because there's, there's some snipers in, on the, oh the road on the God. right. And it's like, that, that kind of blew my mind that, that, you know, a life could be saved almost like for free. You know, it was, it was yeah. a free message in service. And to get messages across borders, um, you know, we would work with people like the Red Cross and, you'd, you know, you kind of send a letter or, or an email and it'd take months to, to get a message to a family or a loved one. But here it was happening instantly. So I kind of questioned my whole, um, I guess, my whole approach to my, to my profession. I thought, you know, is, is the best use of my time doing this traditional kind of human rights, community development work? Or, or you know, could I create um, an app for, for this smartphone? Because surely I could, um, I could scale my impact. Mm. And I, I could serve more people if I, if I could get on this platform. But I had no skills. Um, I did. I used to have a computer when I was about six, and, and did a bit of coding to, to make games back back in the day. Oh wow! On my ZX Spectrum in the in the eighties. God, that's going back. <laughs> I'm older than I look. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Just uh, this, this is fortunate. So um, I, I worked out how to do it by um, basically watching YouTube videos on how to develop. Um, apps and i did an online course at stanford university on, on how to develop uh, mobile apps and it was a it was a frustrating process but after you know after about six months i created a, a very basic app which was just um it just used google maps and it allowed um refugees to plot a point of interest on on the map and, and leave a message. So to kind of imagine a massive virtual notice board attached mm. to a, a globe or a map of the world. And it had lots of, um, lots of users, you know, it was, it was kind of downloaded a lot. It had lots of users and people were leaving messages, which, which had a, a positive impact, impact on people's lives. So really proud of that. that first I think you're underselling that a positive impact on people's <laughs> lives. I mean, literally saving that. I mean, they, <sighs> I mean, there must have been, you must have been had some, so much graphic stuff on there. And I'm just sort of thinking, you know, pound for pound in terms of, you know, creating something versus impact felt. Mm. I mean, I think mm. it's, it's up there, isn't it? Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really kind of you to say. And yeah, it was, and I realized that, you know, this, this is the best way that I can help people. You know, it's, um, it, you make something once and it can be used by many where there's, you know, there's only so many people I can email a day or speak to in a meeting or present to, or, you know, give advice to. You know what? It's, this is not the same, but th that was my exact mindset when I was a doctor. And that was exactly my sort really? of frustration was that I couldn't scale myself. I could only deliver X amount of anesthetics a day. It didn't matter how well I did them or how quickly I did them. I could yeah. never deliver more than that many a day. And that, that was definitely what sort of pushed me towards technology to try and scale myself. I mean, definitely not the same as saving lives by putting, you know, a virtual notice board for snipers for, you know, <laughs> um, Syrian refugees. But I completely understand. I share your kind of, I guess your desire for impact by scaling yourself. I think a lot of tech entrepreneurs must start there. I think so. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, I think it is the same, you know, we've got the both, both had the same realization that we can only do, do so much in a day. You know, we've only got one pair of hands and one set of eyes and yeah, build once, serve many. It's, I think, mm. I think we're in, we're in the same mindset. So I and guess he did what he did, what other good entrepreneurs did as well, or tend to do as well, yeah. which is a bit of self teaching to see what's possible, you yeah. know, teaching yourself from YouTube, you know, paying yourself through us for a Stanford course to make sure you get, yeah, it's, it's equipping yourself with the right skills to go and solve problems. And I think it's interesting to me as well that you weren't, I say you weren't naturally a techie guy. I mean, you were, you were definitely a techie child coding games and stuff, but you, 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 you didn't, not so much a technophile or a technophobe or anything like that, but you were somewhere in the middle, weren't you? Because you didn't yeah. have, you didn't have a, an abundance of technology. You didn't love it. It wasn't something that no. you were absolutely obsessed with, no. but you more just decided, 
okay, I need to solve this problem. Actually, technology is the best way to do it. So let me go and learn how to do that. I mean, that's, I, I really like that. <laughs> yeah, I think just probably right place, right time. You know, I think when, when I was first starting doing that, the Android app, there was, it was only 20,000 apps on the, the Android, the Google store at the time, oh, wow. which is tiny. You know, they were chasing uh, the iPhone back then. So it was, <laughs> You know, maybe it wasn't mainstream tech at that point. So it was maybe I stood out a bit because I, I had some skills which maybe other, other developers, yeah. engineers or designers didn't have. So, yeah, onto something early but didn't know all the stuff which maybe other tech professionals knew. And mm. I think, um, that, that gave me, a, I guess, an advantage. And, yeah, in terms of learning stuff, I was, I was shocked at how much kind of information and, and knowledge we can kind of... Um, suck up through the through the through the web and and it was all free you know even the stanford course that was free i didn't know was it? it yeah and they they used to publish their their lectures a week after them you know kind of being live in in stanford online and i was like this oh is amazing goodness. i'm getting a stanford education for free a it's ludicrous after. isn't it just what's out there for free absolutely ludicrous yeah it, you know, probably like you, I just love YouTube, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was I on it before this call, mate, just cruising. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's kind of our TV. It's our newspaper. It's our textbook. It's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of where, where, where we consume, isn't it? So yeah. There's, there's, and you're right. Where a lot of people get education, you know, things like the Khan Academy and things like that. There's definitely new education paradigms that are coming through it. Totally. Totally. So yeah, I think, I think maybe that, kind of took me back to my childhood I was one of those kids who you know you couldn't sleep and used to get up early and just watch tv you know nice. and I kind of learn from from the telly really so maybe, yeah maybe that's my learning style I was, mm. I was never good at sitting still and on it in a chair so yeah that's kind of so I've got these skills now you know we were talking 2011 and I'm working full-time at, at the charity at refugee action and the way I kind of went from you know let's say amateur dabbler to I guess tech person was I thought I've got these skills now how can I use them to help my my community in Liverpool where where I was based nice. that's my home and um, I I set up a company called Red Ninja and um, it was you know the classic side hustle you know it was the side of the desk I'd, I'd, I'd <laughs> do it at night I'd do it at the weekends you know I'd get up early and you know I'm still working a full-time job that's that's my salary. That's paying my rent, but I was taking um, I was taking some of my salary and, and paying you know some freelance designers or, or developers and creating products really. And um, my vision was to try and use mobile, you know, kind of AI, um, internet of things, all these kind of cutting edge tech at the time to try and improve the health and kind of like the transport I was interested in, in Liverpool. So I thought nice. these are my users, you know, I want to be close to, to the people I'm serving. And it wasn't that different to what I did at refugee Actually, You know, you try and solve a problem that people tell you they have and kind of co-design these things together and, and iterate until you've got a, a product or a service. So red ninja was like, yeah, side of the desk for, for a year. I did that. And we, um, I think our, our, our first app actually was um, we did a commercial one. We thought, let's try and make some money, first of all, by, by getting an app out there on the App Store and then the Google Play Store, which, which people pay to download. And the first one was, um, it was called the Liverpool Tourism Guide app. And we worked with a, a local historian who created all the content. We designed it, designed it and coded it. And um, we sold it for, for £2 each. Mm. And the, that's how I learned, the, I guess, the business model of working with people like Apple and Google. We, we sold uh, 22,000 apps. Um, oh, wow. In the first year, yeah. We kind of, we caught the zeitgeist. We, um, we kind of was very much, um, you know, embraced by the city administration. It was, we were given the city kind of a, an asset. We weren't oh, asking to awesome. be paid for it. So we could advertise in kind of airports and we had the tourism oh, cool. people pushing it. So that's probably because you built a really quality product that people actually wanted to be affiliated with. Exactly. Yeah. And so this was like 2011 and, you know, it had things like augmented huh. reality in it back then. And it oh was, my goodness. We were, yeah, we were kind of pushing it and I'm learning. And it was one of those things that you, know, when you work out what you 
paid to develop it. And, and the business model then, which still is now, is you give 30% of all your turnover to Apple or Google straight yeah. away. So, you know, it, but, but that, that, that money gets um, kind of chomped down. And we've probably just about broke even or made, mm. made a few grand. But, you know, it was mm. never going to make us a sustainable business. But sure. It, you know, we learned from it. And I think it got us out there in our region. You know, we were the guys who, you know, produced that app. So people would speak to us. And yeah. we kind of started getting into more healthcare then. Um, the first app that I'm kind of really proud of is we we co-designed an app to help children with mental health challenges. I think this will be around 2013. And again, that was, I think that had over 100,000 downloads in the first month. And it, wow. It used, I guess, stuff which is now mainstream again. It used mindfulness techniques, uh, distraction, and it just allowed young people to kind of load this app with things that were special to them, like the photos, music, um, you know, memes, that that type of stuff. <laughs> kind of just like a little, a little diary in it. We just took a paper process which clinicians and kind of therapists told us about and, and digitalized it. But it worked because we worked with children. Uh, yeah. In it. So we kind of stumbled upon this um, design methodology, really, which, um, you know, very much co-design and co-creation, work with domain experts, you know, in health, it'll be the clinicians, and we kind of bring the design skills and the tech skills. And that's kind of, I guess, what set us apart from the other tech companies is we were very much, you know, listening first and empathizing and, and, and being kind of genuine and not just trying to sell a product and, push it down people's throats we were, yeah i think that, yeah I there's think a lot of integrity in doing it that way you know realizing that you are experts in the design bit and yes. then just working with experts to sort of make sure that the the product is of the highest quality possible it's yeah it's it's why the tourism app worked and it's why probably you go out and solve problems quite a lot because you're you're willing to just spend that time with customers to listen to figure out what the actual problem is that need solving and exactly how to do it in the right way absolutely and i think yeah we we that's that's the process for me you know it's design thinking it's a design approach mm. human-centered design you know whatever you want to call it but i think it's just it just starts with the person you're trying to serve doesn't it and getting into getting into their mindset and, and working with smart people you know you're it makes a, a, it makes a huge difference as well uh, you know I've, I've just been speaking to a ceo of a, of a very big company actually and yeah. even when you're just having a conversation with him he's never lost the passion yeah. for just going out and spending time with customers to figure out what problems they've got and how he can solve them and how he can build something to solve them literally he's yeah. worked at, across every part of of a few different businesses yeah and even as chief exec probably soon to be chairman and moving on up wow. he's just never lost the passion you can sort of hear it in his voice and it's the same with you that you're you're so grounded in this I want to solve problems for people and I want to do that for as many people as possible. And I want to do that in the most scalable way. It's, it's really nice to have, I don't know. It, it's nice to, to talk to somebody that, that shares that because I, I feel that way myself. And I think, yeah. you know, and I understand where you're coming from when you talk about, you know, wanting to do that for Liverpool as well. Like I lived in Liverpool for two years. I know the community vibe yeah. in Liverpool. I know what it feels like to live there. I know what it feels like to want to contribute to that as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's such a nice place to be when, when everybody is, so where everybody is so friendly and it's a cliche that, you know, people in the North and blah, blah, blah. But I, <laughs> I will say there is something special about Liverpool. I'm biased because I, I've lived there for two years, but Very I will definitely kind. say there's something special about being there. Cool. Uh, you'll never walk alone, as we would exactly, say. Exactly, mate. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it, you know that's it, we we get a buzz from from solving problems and and helping people, don't we? And mm. it's um and we've I've kind of done that for the last eight years at Red Ninja. We've probably worked on fifty digital products over the last sort of eight wow. years. We, we grew from just me you know, doing it part-time to, you know, last year we had 30 staff and they were designers, electrical engineers, data scientists, um, you know, product developers, product mm. designers. It's, it's a real mix of, um, 
of kind of professions and, and disciplines. And I think that's, it feels to me like that's what a modern company is. You know, it's, completely uh, agree. Completely agree. Yeah. I say it on this podcast all the time about, you know, marrying the skills of lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds in order to foster the best ideas and the best way of doing things. I think, you know, the maths is one side of it, but the, the art is the other side of it as well. And I think for, for people to come together and, and be able to have a space where they can actually generate new ideas, it has to be people from different backgrounds that have different ways of viewing problems and, and the way they do things. It's why, you know, computer scientists and data scientists are just, in my opinion, just so, so necessary in medicine. And they need to yeah. come on some ward rounds and, and figure out what the problems are from their eyes for, for the best ways to solve problems. It's, it's absolutely crucial to get those people up together in, in a modern company, as you say. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was in a, a meeting yesterday with a kind of a, a really kind of respected surgeon who's kind of specialised in epilepsy, actually, and a, mm. a data scientist from the from the uh, the hospital, and a, a psychologist from the from the university, and they were looking at ways they could create a, a tool to help people with epilepsy. And mm. I was brought in to kind of help with the design and, and the tech, and it was it was like. You know, these people, they've got all the knowledge, they've done all the research, they've got the kind of approach, they've got the, the secret source. It's, you know, all I'm doing is kind of digitalizing that and making it user-friendly. And I think mm. you know, it's, the, it's the data scientists and the, the statisticians are the kind of the new rock stars, aren't they? Who are so true. Solving these problems. So, it's, so true. I love working. You know, I love working with people like you and, and clinicians because it's, you know, you're in it to, to help people. You know, you, that's why you went into medicine, wasn't it? You wanted to help people be healthy. And, you know, we, it's great for us to, to collaborate with people like you. So, yeah, we're, we're on the same page there. So tell me some of the cool stuff that you're working on or some of the stuff that you have worked on. Just, yeah, sure, just spitball sure. with me for some, like, cool tech and cool problems that yeah. you've solved. Yeah, so we've, yeah, we've, we've done loads. So it's funny, it's like some of my favourite uh, products you know have kind of have solved the problem for a small amount of people or haven't created like a sustainable business model i think mm. one of my favorites the last few years was um, a product that we called little moments and this was um this was solving a problem that women who gave birth to, to um neonatal babies you know premature mm. babies were really small these babies were were kind of being born in the, the women's hospital in liverpool and they were getting transported kind of five miles away to the, the children's hospital to have their treatment in. Mm. And the mums couldn't feel, you know, get the bond with the, with the babies because they were miles apart. So we, we created a bit of technology that, you know, just connected the mums with the babies. It was kind of at its most basic, like a little webcam that went in the incubator. Oh, wow. And it was a kind of a, an app on a, on, a, on a tablet, which was, at its most basic, it's kind of like Skype, but working with, you know, the NHS, they've got all these rules around governance and, you know, security. And, you know, you can't just go sticking things in incubators without all sorts of compliance. It was, it was great because it solved the problem for the mum. So she could see the baby and, you know, she'd get a good feeling and, I remember giving the, the tablet to, to the first mum who, who used it. And it was just great. You know, her eyes lit up. But from then, uh, the nurses and the doctors said, well, could we just have videos of all the babies and all the incubators just on one screen? Because that'll help us with our ward rounds and hmm. monitor them, you know, easier. And it was like, oh, this, this is like a lovely little, little product, really. But I'm very proud of it. But, you know, it's one of those things that, so niche and yeah, there's not there's not loads of neonatal units is there isn't yeah there? exactly i did a neonate's job so i know yeah did i you? know the uh, i know the departments very well yeah yeah so i guess that's something that, that i loved but um i guess our most successful kind of um cool tech at the moment is we've spun out kind of three products um one is called uh, safe steps and this is a, a digital kind of platform it's a it's an app and it's a dashboard that helps prevent falls in our aging population. So falls are a massive problem for, for people over 65. It's, um, it costs the NHS over 2.3 billion a year dealing with these falls. And it's something that I've got personal experience with when I was a, I was a carer for my, for my granddad who's, who's passed on now, but he was, um, 
like like a lot of older people, you know, he didn't didn't want to go into a, a care home. You know, my nan had my nan had passed on, and it was up to the family so to rally round and kind of care mm. for him. And one night, you know, he uh, he must have got up in the morning around two o'clock, two a.m. and went to the bathroom and and had a fall and um, you know fell onto the sink, broke his you know his cheekbone, had a black eye, and he was kind of in and out of consciousness for like you know six hours until um until the family came around in the morning and i thought to myself this this shouldn't be happening you know we, he was offered technology to kind of help detect the fall you know they, they the the kind of the the council the, the state gave him this wearable kind of button or pendant mm. he said you know wear this and when you fall over press it and someone will come and help you well, you know, he was, a, he was a proud guy. He was like, I'm not wearing that. I look like a, a, a swear word. I'm not going to say <laughs> that. He was, you know, he was a very scouse sort of guy. He just said, you know, I want to go to the pub with my mates and they'll, 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 they'll look down on me yeah. if I'm dying. Yeah. So he didn't wear it. And, it, and you know, it, so it, it didn't work. You know, it was designed yeah. by me. Yeah. So we, we took that problem back to, to Red Ninja. And as a lot of techies do, they, they think let's do the most cutting edge thing. So they, they looked at installing sensors in its flat and they looked at how can we detect that fall instantly and message you or message the family through an app mm. or through a text. And, you know, we prototyped this stuff and it worked, but, but actually we, we weren't solving the real problem here. The problem isn't detecting a fall quickly. The real problem is how can we prevent these falls? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and I guess because we, we, I guess we created a bit of traction and hype that we were doing this interest in R and D for for ourselves. We were approached by the NHS in the Wirral, the council, and, and the NHS. They had a massive problem with falls. I think it was costing them around ten million a year to deal with falls, yeah. specifically from care homes. So we went into yeah. homes and, and designed this this app. Which, which essentially is a risk assessment app and it reduces the, the likelihood of risk based on 12 risk factors of, of someone having a fall. It follows nice guidelines. So it's kind of, it's the way that they sort of would do it on paper anyway. And again, we just digitalized it. Um, the good news is we're now in over 100 health and care institutions across the Northwest and, and we're on the NHS uh, National Digital Accelerator to mm. scale this scale this across England so it's that's that's having a great impact we I, I had to spin it out of Red Ninja because I needed to raise investment for yeah. it to get the runway so I took my chief operating officer um, and the design and developer and um, created a new company and um, kind of sold half the shares to give it runway and that and that's out there and I guess that was a new thing for me you know to kind of spin something out and and share it but it's, it was definitely the best thing to do. Um, yeah, that's really, that's really cool. It's, um, it, how does it, how exactly does it work? Start of interest. Um, the, the app. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's 12 risk factors associated with a fall. So it could be kind of, let's say medical type stuff. You know, it could be, um, the mixture of medications that someone might be on might reduce their blood pressure, which means when they get up, quickly then they might have a fall or it could be something like you, you need your eyes testing because maybe you need new types of glasses because your bifocals aren't relevant anymore or it could be the environment you could have a, a rug near your door or you mm. could have a, a dog basket or could be wearing the wrong type of shoes so there's kind of 12 areas and if you kind of um look at each one of those areas we will um, kind of spit out a personalized care plan to which which recommends actions to to reduce the likelihood of, of risk associated with each one of those areas and what happens is you do that every month and 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 the the result is falls um, have been falls have been uh, reduced by 30 percent in um, in all the the institutions which we're in and that's that's been like independently valid, validated so we're, we're really proud of that it's, it's clearly low-hanging fruit that you picked off there because yet again, pound for pound, in terms of all of the different things that you could have done with the yeah. technology yeah. And, and what it actually required to, to do you know, a 25%, 30% reduction in falls, 
Yeah. It's not a huge amount of tech, is it? Let's be honest. It was just a case of understanding the problem that needed solving and just going about it in the right way. It's, yeah, it's probably one of the most low-tech things we've ever done. You know, it's yeah. a dashboard for commissioners. In 2011, you were doing more tech than this. <laughs> exactly. And that, but it's like, you know, we're, you've, seen, you've worked in the NHS. You know, there's still a lot of paper. You know, they're still yeah. using faxes yeah. and pages and things like that. So actually, if you go into a care home, it's, it's old school. You know what I mean? So just, just digitalizing this stuff and, and that allows us to, to unlock the power of data. And it helps the manager, it helps the, the, the NHS who are commissioning these services. And, you know, you unlock data, you, you get insights, don't you? And mm. yeah, you, you're right, it's low tech, but it's, but it's working. And I think mm. it's, um, it took us a while to understand that it's not about being whizzy and clever sometimes. It's just completely agree. Problem. And with the scale that you're getting now mm. and the fact that you're moving quite quickly into lots of different boroughs areas regions yeah, yeah. whatever you want to call it yeah what do you think the reason for that is that you're achieving scale so quickly in light of the fact that traditionally all you tend to hear is that it's very difficult oh. to scale in a system such as the nhs where indeed there are no real ways of getting century yeah. procured and just rolled out like there might be a sort of head office of a private sector <laughs> hospital group or something it's no so it is hard you know this is like I said, we've done 50 digital products over the years and, you know, the majority of them are in healthcare and they haven't scaled and they failed and they've got mm. one or two customers. So I guess we've failed so much, um, but, but people probably appreciated what we did. You know, we've helped people with acquired brain injuries, rehabilitate quicker. You know, we've helped the babies and there's a, there's a list of things we did. So yeah. I guess we got a good reputation and that got us in front of, you know, CEO of NHS England, you know, the, the board at NHS England. We kind of became a bit of a, you know, a, an example of good practice. So yeah. our profile was people, I guess, knew me and they knew the yeah. company. So we had a lot of social capital and I guess uh, networks and people. It's mm, a good way of putting it, yeah. We, we always, you know, especially in me, people ask me to kind of help them out or present somewhere or, you know, go and come and do some a session. I usually say yes, because I think it's yeah. about, you know, it's, it's not just take, is it? It's, it's you give and you, you give value to people. And it kind of comes around. So I think we've built that reputation up over eight years and, you know, it's, it's still slow. Do you know what I mean? It's, we started this, this app. I think we started the first prototype was like over maybe four years ago, you know, so a long time. Yeah. And you know, it was kind of, it wasn't our main priority, but as we saw the demand for it, you know, we pivoted the company and said, okay, let's, let's put more resource into this and and Mm. go for it. But I will, I will say getting on the NHS digital accelerator was great for us. That's open doors. Um, Working with some of the academic health science networks within the AHSN been good for us to to open doors, and um, yeah, just getting out there. There's you know there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of meetings, mm. and they're not always dead interested. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point about giving value as well because this seems to crop up at every single level when it comes to entrepreneurship, even even at the level of, oh, I, I, I need to develop an idea and I, I want to just get some exposure and, and, and that sort of thing, all the way up to, you know, doing big partnerships and even sort of like M&A stuff. Like people all along that chain all talk yeah. about how important it is to give value to people first and not really expect anything yeah. in return. And as you say, build up that <clears throat> social capital. It really is something that's, that's, that's coming out at the minute with the more and more of these episodes that I do. It's a, it's a common theme amongst people that have tended to be quite successful in health tech. That's nice to hear. Yeah. And, and I guess now that you say that, I'm thinking, yeah, the year before last, I, I went on this program where they, they took essentially... Uh, diverse people let's say younger people um, Mm. you know yeah people from diverse backgrounds and got them onto nhs trust boards kind of like a trainee non-exec director so i was invited to to go in a like a specialist hospital in liverpool first of all for six months and then i did another one a mental health trust in lancashire lancashire care and you know i was kind of getting mentored by the chair you know i got to you know, you, you, you meet in the, the CEO on a, you know, a level playing field and you, you, you can just ask, you know, how do you do that? Why, mm. why are you doing it that way? And, and I looked at these boards and 
because you always see it from the outside, don't you? Like, why don't they <laughs> do? Why aren't they just modern? Why aren't you know? Why, <laughs> why can't they be like Google or or you know Netflix? Yes. And I guess that really allowed me to kind of empathise more with their challenges and um, and make me understand why you know why we're not the tech people aren't their priority. You know, there's yeah. a massive bridge, and it's up to the I guess the tech people as well. So we've got to be reaching out, you know, yeah. more. And I think yeah, stuff like that. I'd, I'd recommend people you know do do volunteer and get you know contribute and you'll actually get more from it because you'll you'll understand the the system or the could not agree more could not agree more again <laughs> i told i told this story on this podcast a couple of times but i um when I was a clinician, I was feeling yeah. that frustration with why yeah. isn't there more tech? Why isn't there more this? Why isn't there yeah. more that? And everyone, everyone on the clinical side would just sort of say, oh, it's managers. It's the manager's fault. It's, you know, it's managers. They go home at five. They don't really do any work. It's just all the managers. <laughs> and I, I, I wouldn't really accept that because I was like, I, I'm not surely like that. They've got to have other things that they like, can't be that straightforward. And none of these people had ever <laughs> worked as a manager or like yeah. genuinely had any dialogue with the managers. So what I did, I took, um, I took a load of study leave and just started shadowing managers and just sort of awesome. spending time in the finance department, spending time in the chief execs awesome. and just asking like weird questions of them and just being like, how do you actually make these decisions? And like, what actually happens here? And why do you yeah. do this? And why is it so difficult to get rid of fax machines? You know, all, all those sorts of things. Yeah. As, as you exactly said, the word, the word that sticks out there is empathy. You develop this empathy for the other side in inverted commas. Exactly. And when you've got that, especially when you're then in my position, you know, I was writing business cases, which yeah. have to be signed off by these people. So, yeah. you know, relatively entrepreneurial activity. Yeah, that yeah. Totally. Essentially, you know, as a business would be doing so, yeah. but with the empathy and the understanding of what's possible, what they need. And actually in some cases, you know, what levers to pull, what language to talk in, you know, yeah. you know that a currency is bed days. And so you start writing things in yeah. how many bed days you're going to save. Yeah. All of a sudden you get more attention. And I think, that learning of, of mm. what the other side do, you know, you say, you said through volunteering and things, and, and mm. I, I completely agree that any way that you can get in front of or get behind enemy lines, really, in, in terms of what your customers might be thinking, what the, what your potential stakeholders might be thinking, you know, all of that sort of stuff, mm. the more that you can just sort of get in their own heads by spending time with them. And then if you go in and say you're going to add value, if you're then going to contribute to them and help them and do all those different things with your expertise, which is obviously possible too, yeah, really start to build bridges. And I think that is is the real key to networking and how you know you and I have probably managed to build quite significant networks in health tech. It sounds like yeah, I think I think if you think networks go into a, a network event where you get some <laughs> nibbles and maybe some wine, if it's, yeah you, you, you're not doing it right i was talking about this with the there's a guy uh, you'll probably know that you know the guys from sweatcoin i think they're on the same accelerator yes, at the minute. Yes, yes. so i was chatting to sean on this podcast mm. the other day and we were talking about networking events and yeah. i hate them i've always hated them because i'm such a natural introvert oh, that, well, same here people yeah. don't believe it one-on-one <laughs> -on -one with a person fantastic i'll have a great yeah. conversation yeah. it'll be wonderful yeah. put me in a room of loads and loads and loads of people i just Horrible, want to turn around it? and go home and so sean was saying you know he he was thinking something similar and but then he started to set himself a goal of just i'll speak to two people and i'm going to add value to two people once i've added yeah. value to two people i'm going to call that a day and go home and he said that what people nice. think they set unrealistic expectations yeah. of, oh there's 50 people in the room I've, I've got to come out of here with 50 different emails and it's like well no if you are going to go to networking events just maybe focus on that and i really liked what he said about yeah just go and say i'm going to add value to two people yeah. in the room and then yeah. if you do that 10 times across a year you know, something might happen, you know, I think, I think that's completely fair. It's an interesting way anyway, to, I like to, find, it. to find the positive in, in networking events anyway. I like it. Yeah, no, and that's, that's it. You know, you do get some good conversations, but yeah, the, the real network's done, I think when you're doing something, totally you know, agree. you're in, and that's just, that's a better way of doing it. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, it just. One thing I want to talk about, mate, is, yeah. so I really enjoy the model that you've got going on. Mm. And I've heard this in a couple of different mm. ways, which is you've got this kind of almost like 
R&D research team yes. that are sort of working on all your kind of crazy professor ideas. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you've got this mechanism of like, oh, when something commercially viable pops up, you've then got the ability to kind of spin it out into its own company with yeah. a network then you can raise money for and obviously create more impact with it as yeah. a business than yeah. you might have done with any yeah. other potential model. Yeah. I really like that. I mean, is that something that you set out to do? Is that something that you kind of stumbled upon? Any yeah. learning from when you set that stuff up? I mean, talk to me about that. Yeah. So I, I guess my vision from day one was I want to create IP, which I can turn into a yeah, nice. commercialize from day one. So nice. what I did was kind of do gun for hire work, you know, make websites and apps and, and yeah. a lot of those with jobs with her for hospitals and, and healthcare to get some money in so we can develop our own thing, like, like the work I did for my granddad. And then we worked out how to apply for like R&D funds from people like uh, Innovate UK yeah. and Innovation Arm. And, and that helps us grow our R&D capacity. You know, I'll give you an example. We, we'd been doing some R&D around um, reducing ambulance response time. And this was... Um, you know, this came from was spending a bit of time in a traffic management control center. So the person who controls the traffic lights for Liverpool mm. to go into his office and it'd be like a room with 20 TVs watching roads and traffic lights, <laughs> and traffic jams. And, and one day I was, um, I saw him, the guy, Peter, was literally just on a computer with his mouse controlling traffic lights to... Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. That is not how I thought that was happening. <laughs> well, it doesn't. This guy is like a total maverick. <laughs> so it's normally just on play mode, you know, it's yeah. out of the box. And But the reason he was controlling it in real time and kind of going against the system was he was helping um, children who were in ambulances get to the children's hospital oh, by clearing the congestion. Amazing. And I was like, it just blew my mind. I was with this guy today, actually. Um, and I was like, what happens when you're not working? What happens to the children coming, coming in the ambulance? And he just went, well, they're stuck in traffic. And I was like, no, this, this is like, so my hypothesis was, can we use kind of automation and artificial intelligence to kind of take what's in his head and just automate it, you know, create yeah. an algorithm? So we, we kind of did a bit of R&D. But it wasn't until we applied to Innovate uh, UK and kind of got a, bit, a big chunk of money, which allowed us to develop our, kind of grow our data science team and, and work on this problem for two years with companies like Siemens, who make the traffic lights and, you know, the transport bit of government and, you know, yeah. actually test it in real life. And we, you know, we, we worked with the ambulance trust, you know, we sat in the cab, you know, we spoke to the paramedics, the drivers, you know, to, to kind of solve the right problem. And that's, that's where the R and D and getting money to, to kind of de-risk it really helps. And hmm. we're still yet to turn that into a product because we haven't got the business model right yet. Cause you know, it's hmm. do we charge the ambulances. Do we charge the city who pay for traffic lights? It's, we kind of, we know how to solve the problem, but, it's getting the right kind of sustainable business model attached. It's funny you say that. I've literally just written down here, who are your customers? <laughs> well, it's funny, actually, you know, we were, we had a, we had a meeting with the, with the CEO of like kind of, you know, city hall, you know, the, the mm. mayor's office essentially about, about doing this um, kind of at scale in our region. It was like, well, you know how to control the traffic lights in a smart way. You're doing it for ambulances he was like, they were like, can you do it for buses to make sure they, they're on time? Mm-hmm. That helps the city. So I think that the business model is we've got to offer more value to the city and the ambulance is got it. just a module on there. And that's, yeah, that's, that's innovation is as much around business models as, as the tech, in my opinion. But yeah, so something like that, hopefully that'll be the next one to spin out as a product. But yeah, we've, you know, we've, the other product we've got, is a is an, a kind of an app which helps cities plan for the future of transportation. So it's kind of linked into the the, the ambulance and traffic light stuff. And we had to spin that out uh, and put it through an accelerator. You know, we moved part of the team to the US, mm. some investment from there. And it was um, it happened at the same time we spun out Safe Steps, literally like you know the same month. And I think my vision was always get a load of money in the business, create our own products. And, you know, you have an R&D lab, you have a 
products bits and you have a gun for hire studio but the reality is and i was i would have run out of money you know we yeah. couldn't sustain it so i had you have to, have to kind of chop the business up and, and raise investment so it wasn't my first choice but you know that the reality is you know you don't always get it the way you want it but <laughs> i think i needed i needed to work with people who were kind of more experienced more smarter they'd been there done it and going through an accelerator kind of got me the mentors and I'm mm. selling part of the business um, safe steps kind of we got to work with a successful a really successful edu- education tech company angel solutions and they've you know they're in a 30,000 schools they sell to 150 councils you know they're sustainable and I was like I want to learn how you've done it so yeah. I think just you know the some it's it's actually probably better to, to kind of share and, and work with people mm. so we fell into this model really you know so through <laughs> making mistakes and you know just it's it's survival mode isn't it <laughs> yep mm. definitely mate so when, when you're when you're going through the process of oh, i want to call it discovery or when when yeah. you're when you're thinking of a problem and, and you're yeah. you're on the way yeah. to forming this solution yes percentage do you think of your time effort and resource goes to diagnosing the problem versus creating the solution yeah that's a that's a really good question so we're you know i'm a massive advocate of the the design sort of design thinking approach which i guess came out of stanford uni and there's a process you know stage one is empathize you know Mm. understand the user stage two is define the problem you know what is it you really want to solve stage three is ideate with the with the end user you know just spitball ideas then create some quick prototypes and test those prototypes and you know you, you can do that in a two-hour session if you you know if you really condense it or it could be a six-month process yeah um, but i i prefer to spend the kind of the majority time on that iterative process you know just create those prototypes test them iterate test prototype iterate test and just keep going around until you until you've got the the product really so it's i just think that is the process um Mm. yeah the kind of because i've done it wrong in the past you know where you have this grand idea for this all singing all dancing bit of technology which is going to do everything Mm. all these ideas and then you never finish it Mm. it's just it's unwieldy and you haven't (laughs) validated it and it's all you know we we sometimes drink our own kool-aid and believe our own (laughs) very true very true so i i'm just a big believer of testing your assumptions early and getting validated and yeah do that day one and 50 odd products later Mm. what do you think you've rattled off a couple there but what do you think are your major learning points 50 products later for the health tech entrepreneurs listening i guess that are thinking about either a problem that they love to solve or if they've got an idea for a solution for something i mean as i say you know 50 products through and doing them to the degree that you're that you've done them and all these different things i mean what what your kind of major learning points that you would pass on to the next generation yeah i think do you know what, I, th- I think we were doing it wrong for a long time. And I think it took me to go to the US and, you know, with my co-founders now, another Liverpool guy, he's in San Francisco, going through the, the accelerator process that they do there and, and learning from them who, who just do this more. And they yeah. kind of, um, you know, they've really kind of nailed the approach. And it was get, validate your assumptions early. So literally do a list of what your assumptions are. So it might be, I'm going to make this product because it's going to help doctors see people quicker. Yeah. So, okay. So that's one assumption. And it, and the other assumption might be, and they will pay for this. <laughs> um, another assumption is they want it to be real time and literally just put that, all these assumptions in a list, in a spreadsheet and arrange to speak to people who, and, and ask them the questions and you get so much insight from that. You know, we've, we thought we knew where the value was in our product. And once we went through that process, it, we realized it wasn't, we, we pivoted the pro- product into a totally different direction because we understood where the value was. So I think that's a massive one. Uh, so speak to your customers all the time. You know, there's a saying, isn't there? Get out of the building. 
don't, don't just be, get out there, speak to people, but do it in a systematic way. You know, test your assumptions and just keep doing it. Do that every week, you know, and you, you'll get better. Um, the other thing I learned, I guess, from the, the, the um, accelerator process was how important, you know, good mentors are who've, who've been through the process or someone you can learn from. Um, hard to get you know i didn't really have any until until going to the us but there's there's people who want to help entrepreneurs and it's i guess it's just getting in those networks and yeah so that's getting mentors has helped me you know and you don't have to be in this country and you just skype them or, or whatever yeah i I'd, I'd absolutely agree with both of those i think what one of the questions that i ask quite a lot yeah of entrepreneurs that either yeah. come to us to join the accelerator or they might yeah. be looking for investment with our Ronald Fernlong fund with our UK yeah. or, you know, yeah. whatever it is that, that they, whatever it is that they want from us. <laughs> I'll, I'll often hear, I'll often hear a pitch, which is yeah. super passionate yeah. and just, you know, super emotive and yeah. sounds wonderful and the tech all sounds fantastic. Yeah. And I'll often ask a question and it's because I genuinely want to know the answer. And the yeah. question I tend to ask is how much of what you've just told me are facts and how much are assumptions? Yeah. And it's a question that really tends to stump people because it's really difficult to yeah. kind of hold the mirror up to yourself and yeah. actually see what's an assumption. It's hard to kind of yeah. rise above and transcend yeah. your own idea and passion and emotive ideas yeah. to actually, totally. to actually see what the assumptions are. And so the importance of then communicating your entire pitch to yeah. somebody that's completely independent and not bought into the company and just can listen to you and might be from the sector yeah. or yeah. might not be, I think is incredibly yeah. important because they're going to, they, they're going to be able to tell you what the assumptions are in all your different statements, <clears throat> excuse me, or, yeah. you know, that, that you're going to be able to ask them uh, or they're going to be able yeah. to ask you, you know, of, of all the different statements, they're going to be able to tell you which ones are which. So I think, Excuse me. I think yeah, the 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 facts versus assumptions things is absolutely crucial, and the the ability to kind of have the insight to do that yourself is yeah. is possibly quite rare. I think for early stage entrepreneurs, and, and so the value of t of asking and telling other people is is key. And I, and the other bit that that I completely agree with you on is mentorship. I think accelerators are a great great way of doing that, particularly in a new territory. I think. Yeah for you to use the accelerator like you did and whether or not you gave away 6%, 10%, 12%, right, whatever yeah. it was to, to land in its six. Yeah, yeah. Standard. So, you know, to give away 6% to an accelerator can often feel like you're cutting off a limb, especially if the accelerator's round the corner and you tend to know most of the people that they're already speaking to, you know, there's art, you know, arguably why would you do that? But you know, yeah. to use an accelerator as you've done, I think you're extracting the most value for that 6% because you're going in completely cold. You've got none of the networks yeah. and, you're just saying okay well here's a brand new territory here's a brand new set of mentors that they've got here's a brand yeah. new ecosystem that they're part of with brand new customers yeah. and actually a different way of thinking they they you know they're going to be able to translate the language yeah. for you and i yeah. mean that kind of literally and metaphorically you know <laughs> the, the way the the, the health tech ecosystem works and i think that's yeah. really really interesting and 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 good way to use an accelerator i, th I think that's really good and mentors Oh man, mentors can just be so useful. Uh, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago on 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 this podcast that I had a really really nasty email sent to me by somebody that read a Forbes article and just completely got the wrong end of the stick and thought oh, that no. I was trying to sell off the NHS or something. Oh. And just <laughs> I, get I mean that to be fair, on Twitter, the people are just having yeah. a go at you. <laughs> but to be fair mate, I kind of dug my engraver away <laughs> in a way because I I titled it something quite clickbaity which I now know is uh, is okay. possibly not the best thing to do. Yeah. And the title was could the NHS sell its data for 12 billion dollars. Now the, the content of the article was not anything like the NHS yeah. or Jealous Data for that yeah. amount of money. It was more the fact that there's lots of productivity savings to be made if it was to give the data to date, you know, data science companies and things. And that's yeah, why they yeah. could realize that value. But anyway, someone's read the title or they've read a bit of it and got the right in the stick and sent me email. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I, I ended up pinging it to two of my mentors actually yeah. that, that understand me. They know yeah. me. They like, you know, we yeah. like each other. We get on yeah. personally. We get on professionally. Yeah. And, you know, to just have them say, oh, this happens all the time, James, just ignore it. And, you know, maybe just put out a positive article next time and don't do anything. You know, just some, yeah. something on that. It's incredibly important. Um, 
as well as obviously the mentors that are so sector specific or they can help you specifically with fundraising or specifically yeah. with this and specifically with that it it's incredible you know if you surround yourself with a good mentor network there's yeah. there's no problem that really feels too big to solve if you, if you do it right totally and it's it's something that i do all the time i mentor loads of people i've always done it but i didn't have any myself yeah it's, just, it's nice right <laughs> it's fun. yeah it's it's just it's a good way and, and like i mentor younger people and i learn just as much as them really from yeah. our interactions so it's i would advise people to mentor themselves or get a mentor and yeah you know it helps you stay plugged in and, and all sorts doesn't it it's so cool yeah um what one last thing I want to touch on, mate. I've, yeah. I've written from our last call, and I cannot remember the context. <laughs> I've written, I've written prime ministers and presidents. Oh, right. and that's okay. that's what I've written. So yeah. just rem- remind me, remind me why I've written that. Because that's yeah. all I've written as well. I've yeah, literally yeah. Had no context. I guess. Um, so how did I get into that? So I'm I'm also a, a technology reporter for the BBC. So I talk about um, oh, nice. trends and. Through that network and, and through working in Silicon Valley, I, I started, um, I started, I did a course at UC Berkeley in California. Through, through their the network, they, um, they got me a job advising the president of India on um, smart cities oh, cool. and open innovation. So I got, to, I got to work in India for, for three months. So I was then advising chief ministers who kind of rule a state like bigger than Britain. So it's, you know, it, and just, kind of creating their policy so that was how i kind of got into the government advising and then and then about four years ago it was when it was when theresa may was just elected she um she she reached out to me and said uh, could you come on my first trade tour to to india you know meeting the the prime minister modi i want to take some of our sort of best businesses so you know we can we kind of um went out there and I guess that opened up a, a lot of doors, you know, being on a plane with a prime minister and, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind it's of, it's not something a lot of people can relate to. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, she was, we, we were very, probably different politically, you know, but, but we, you know, I, I respected her, her work ethic and yeah. she, you know, she was, she was very helpful for us and that kind of got me linked to number 10. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll go into number 10, you know, new, the new prime minister we've been, advising their team around kind of tech startups for the uk how oh, we thank can god grow a, a, <laughs> i'm so i feel so much better knowing that you're going into number 10 and giving advice <laughs> i judge like genuinely but there's you know, there's some good people and i think you know we, let, let's not get into policies we'll probably we've got there's some just <laughs> funny politicians shall we say uh, <laughs> who, who, who just say whatever they need to say to get elected but there's a lot of good civil servants and yeah. they, they tend to stay in in their jobs no matter who's in charge so yeah yeah we, I, I um i'm kind of in and out of um, number 10 uh, treasury and dcms department of um, culture mm. media uh, digital culture media sport and i guess it was just lucky to get into those networks through through chance really and again it's just one of those things that like you know you want to give back to your community it's it's not like this is my job it's i want to I want to help other businesses. I want to give the insights that I've got from, from kind of startup world. And it's, um, yeah, I guess it's good. It, it can, it can open doors. So yeah, I didn't think I'd be advising a government, <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's nice to travel and it, you know, it's, it's always nice, isn't it? To go yeah. To I like the variety as well, you know, yeah. writing for Forbes alongside yeah. for me, you know, writing for Forbes alongside. That's awesome raising the fund and, you know, yeah. running the accelerator and the, yeah. the being a doctor. Yeah. Well, I, I just enjoy the variety and I think, I think it's, it's definitely the spice of life for me. I just thoroughly enjoy it. You'd get bored when you I, th- I think so. And I think from, yeah, one person to another that just can't seem to settle <laughs> on doing one thing. What's, what's the bit that you love doing most? And that's going to be my final question. What do I love? I think you always get a buzz, don't you? When you get a deal or when you, yeah. Oh, great that's going to mean another yeah you know, thousand apps downloaded for our for our, you know our, our products but mm. i i still love the like you said before it's that face-to-face design co-design co-creation you know with with clinicians with end users with academics mm. coming together to solve a problem that i can't solve on my own they can't solve on my own there's something mm. kind of magic that happens when you when you bring a multidisciplinary team together yeah and you just i just get 
educated and you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm making a contribution to society and I've got something which is, which is valuable. You know, I'm never can, you know, you're the kind of people who save people's lives and, you know, you're the, I never thought I'd get to be in that type of world, but it's, you know, I'm having my own little impact in kind of healthcare. So it's, yeah, it's, it's collaborating with you guys. Humbly saying you're having some little impact. I, I like that. <laughs> I like that, mate. Um, Lee, this has been an absolute pleasure, mate. I've thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed hearing all about your stuff. I mean, from Thanks, the start Jay. of this call, talking about, you know, the, the apps that you were building to help Syrian refugees mm. negotiate mm. their way through, mm. you know, sniper filled territories mm. all the way mm. to what you've been doing in, in health and, and smart cities and uh, yeah. sitting on the plane with uh, Teresa, you know, it's, it's yeah. an incredible, incredible life. You've got incredible journey. You're doing some great work and I absolutely love it. I, I'd love to stay in touch, mate. And definitely uh, we should keep in touch. I, I, I think definitely a beer in Liverpool is the next phase for us on, our, on our journey together. I, <laughs> I know all the cool that's ideal. <laughs> I, ho- I hope they're all still there, mate. We'll go to heebie jeebies. We'll, we'll end uh, up there. Yeah, that is still there, I think, yeah. Nice. Um, Cool, man. So the way that we end these podcasts is I just basically hand back over to you to close us out um, and just tell us the summary of a little bit about you, a little bit about what you're up to, and if you've got any asks of our kind of vast health tech audience around the world. Thanks, James. I'm Lee Omar, CEO of Red Ninja, uh, and we create products that prevent falls in the ageing society. And we create uh, products that help cities plan for the future of transportation. And um, I'd love to work with um, anyone who's interested in preventing falls in the aging society. You know, um, really interested in collaborating with you and always interested in um, hearing from people who've got a passion to solve uh, health problems. And, and perhaps we can work together. I'm always open for a conversation. Um, you can get me on Twitter at Lee Omar, or you can email me on lomar at redninja.co.uk and um, check out um, safesteps.tech. That's our full prevention app. Thank you. Awesome, Lee. Thanks so much for your time, dude. Cheers, mate. Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.